Again, we're thankful for everyone's presence this morning. I'd like to add just one more um, name to our prayer list. We're glad that Hannah is back with us. She was uh, with her mother Joanne uh, at the hospital um, last week, and uh, Joanne, uh, of course, was suffering from some blood pressure problems. Uh, I think she's home now and, and doing better, but still weak, and so we want to continue to remember Sister Joanne Kelso in our prayers as well. This morning as a text, I'd like to read a, a verse that's familiar to most of us, I believe, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. And there Paul tells Timothy, and, and in turn tells us all uh, as well, that we should study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That was from the King James Version, as you could uh, probably tell. And the King James is one of the few versions that translates that first word there as study. In fact, admittedly, if you look up the original Greek word, it's probably better translated as to be diligent or to endeavor. So endeavor to show yourself approved unto God. And in our vocabulary, that's a little bit different meaning than study. However, I think either way, Paul's meaning and uh, intent here is clear because of what he says at the end of the verse. He has in mind the idea of studying and rightly dividing God's Word. When it comes to Bible study, it's one of those topics that we as Christians can all agree on. We all know, we all readily admit that uh, it's important and it's necessary. Uh, it's uh, necessary for a Christian to, to read and study and, and grow in knowledge and wisdom. Uh, but how many of us can say that we really study as we would like to or as we should? How many of us really put the time and the energy into learning and studying and understanding God's Word that, that we think God expects of us? Well, unless you're in the minority, I think most of us will admit that, uh, that we don't, at least not as much as we should. The question I want us to consider today is why? Why don't we study and read as we should? You know, psychologists will tell us that one of the most important steps in overcoming a problem is to admit that you have a problem and then to find out what is causing the problem, what's causing that harmful behavior, whatever it might be. What is the root of the problem? What are the reasons why we don't live as we should or, or as we would like to? And I think no less is true when it comes to this problem of our lack of Bible study. I don't think we'll ever really solve this problem until we understand what it is that keeps us from our study and from our duty. What are the hindrances that keep us from studying the Bible as we should? And once we can identify those hindrances, then hopefully we can watch for them and avoid them and overcome them. So that's what I'd like for us to consider in our study this morning, some of the hindrances of Bible study. Well, the first hindrance of Bible study that we want to notice is a wrong attitude. In fact, if you really admit it or think about it, all the other hindrances that we're going to notice this morning or that we could think of, um, they really could all be put under this one big umbrella or big heading, improper attitude. And so its importance cannot be overstated. The attitude that we have toward Bible study is what really determines how much time we will spend and how successful we will be in studying and learning and understanding God's Word. There's a little poem that I found that I, I think says it well. The poem says, One ship sails east, another west, by the selfsame wind that blows. Tis the set of the sail, and not the gale, 
that determines the way it goes. These two ships were being moved in opposite directions, but by the same wind. How is that possible? Well, it was all because of the way that their sails were set. And similarly, the way that our attitude is set, if you will, um, can determine how much we will study and uh, what direction our study will take us and how much good it will do us. Every time we pick up the Bible, we should ask ourselves, what is my real purpose in reading this book? What's behind me doing this? And I think if we'll do that, and if we'll have the proper attitude and we'll bring that attitude into focus, then it will help us to eliminate some of these other bad attitudes, if you will, or, or hindrances that we now want to notice. And so the second hindrance to Bible study that I want to uh, point out is if we are reading the Bible just to prove a point or to prove some particular doctrine, to prove ourselves right, you might say. Someone has said, and I think it said very well, they said, the Bible is not a book with which to prove doctrines. The Bible is the doctrine itself. And that's so true. God didn't give us His Word just so we could go around proving what we think is right or disproving what others may think. It is not simply a debating tool or a reference. We must read the Bible to learn God's will because that's exactly what it is and to learn how He wants us to live. We shouldn't form our own ideas and then read to try to back them up and substantiate them. The story is told of, of a man who believed that baptism was not necessary for salvation and he wanted to use the Bible to prove it. And so we turn to 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, but he read the verse like this. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us not. And he closed the book right there and he said, see, the Bible clearly says that the Bible does not save us. Well, if you know this verse, which is I'm, I'm sure you do, you know that's not where the verse ends. The verse actually says, Baptism doth also now save us, pause, comma, or parentheses, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Supposedly that's a true story. I don't know if whether it is or not, but supposedly that man was actually using that argument in a public debate and uh, just shows how poor of a, a Bible student he was and how poor of a debater he was, you might say. But whether that's a true story or not, I think the point is, is well made either way. We can't make up our mind and then go searching the scriptures to try to find proof of some preconceived idea. Because when we do, we will find something. We will take a verse out of context or we will misapply verses or misinterpret or mistranslate or cut short the verse as this man did. And we will uh, make a mess out of the scriptures basically in order to try to prove what we want to prove. One of the classes that I teach uh, quite often is statistics. And one of the first lessons we learn in that class is some of the misapplications of statistics, how statistics can be abused. And I tell my students at the end of that lesson, I said, I hope you don't leave this class thinking, well, statistics is just a bunch of hogwash. You can just make it say whatever you want to. Because the point of this study, the point of our lesson today has been that you have to properly apply statistics. Yes, they can be abused. And yes, sadly, they are often used to say things that are not true, to try to prove things that are false. But if they're done correctly, then they shed light on the truth instead of trying to prove someone's point. Well, I think the same can be said of the Bible. Um, the same can be said of the law, for example. 
If there is a lawyer who is dishonest, I'm not saying all lawyers are dishonest, but if there's a lawyer who is truly dishonest, he can take the law and make it say whatever he wants to, to try to prove his case. And again, unfortunately, the same can often be said of the Bible. It can be used to prove or disprove whatever you want if you misuse it and misapply it. And in fact, some people have dismissed the Bible for that very reason. And if you try to show them what the Bible says about a particular subject, they don't want to hear it. They don't put any weight. They don't put any trust in what the Bible has to say because they think, well, you can just make the Bible say whatever you want. But that's not the Bible's fault. It's the fault of those who misapply it and misuse it for their own personal reasons and personal ideas. The Bible is God's infallible word. As we said, it's not just a reference. It's not just a source. It is the source. And so the next time you have a question concerning some religious matter, don't just pull out your concordance and search to find all the scriptures that prove what you think is true. Instead, open your Bible and study the subject with an open mind, determined to find out what God has to say truly about the subject. Well, next, another mistake that I think we make that often hinders our studying of the Bible is when we read without really expecting to understand. Again, this goes back to our attitude uh, when we're reading. How many times have you heard someone say, I, I really just can't understand the Bible. I read it, but it really just doesn't make any sense to me. And many people in our society believe the Bible is, is so old and so out of date that it just simply can't be understood by the average person. Or they think that somebody has to have a degree from some seminary or some Bible college to be able to understand God's Word and to be able to explain it to others. In fact, throughout history, there have been denominations that have even forbidden their members from reading and trying to understand the Scriptures. Instead, they forced them to rely on a priest or, or so-called learned men to tell them what the Bible says. And even, even today, some denominations, maybe they don't go as far as forbidding Bible study, but they still encourage their members to rely on the interpretation of, of maybe a bishop or some other man uh, of some office to tell them what the Bible means and what it says. Well, it is true that there are things that, that may make the Bible difficult at times. Just by the very fact that it was written hundreds of years ago, some of the historical references, for example, may escape us if we're not familiar with the history that's behind them. Because it was translated into our language, the English language, uh, so long ago, some of that old English, so to speak, some of those words and phrases uh, may have different meanings to us today than they did in the time of, of King James, like that word study, for example, a, a moment ago. But that's no excuse for not understanding the Bible. Today, we have plenty of references that can help us to understand the history surrounding the, the times that the scriptures were, were written. We have other translations which can help shed some light on some of those old-fashioned words and phrases. And of course, with any translation, we still have to be careful, whether it's old or new, we still need to be careful that what we're reading is, is truly what God intended. I don't believe we should trust any one translation or interpretation until we've investigated it and seen whether it's in accordance with the truth. There are certain mistranslations. In fact, I think just about any version has that. And if it's a matter of doctrine, then that could affect our salvation. So we need to be extra careful to, to find the truth. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But, but besides the age of the Bible, there are, quite honestly, things in God's Word that just take more time. 
more time in study, more time in meditation, more time in uh, researching, if you will. There are parts of the Bible that, that may not be understood in the first reading, obviously. The book of Revelation, for example, all of its symbolism. I know of, of no one, really, who the first time they read it understood everything that, that was meant there. And, and possibly we still don't understand. In fact, Peter plainly says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 16, and, and specifically here he's speaking about some of Paul's letters, but he said that there are some things hard to understand. You can't make it much more plainer than that. Um, and I think that may be by, by design. You know, if we all understood everything in the Bible the very first time we read it, there really wouldn't be any need for study, would there? There wouldn't be any need for meditation. Uh, and I'm glad that we can still continue to learn from the Bible, no matter, no matter how many times we've read it. Glad that we can still gain knowledge, no matter how spiritually mature we are. But please don't understand, or misunderstand rather, Peter did say that there are some things hard to be understood, but there are also things that are easy enough to be understood by even the youngest child. And when it comes to what's necessary for salvation, I think those things can be understood by anyone, at least who is of the age of accountability. Consider some of these verses, which I think prove that the Bible can be understood. In Mark 12, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and verse 37 says that the common people heard him gladly. I'm pretty sure that that word heard there doesn't just literally mean that they heard him with their ears, but they didn't really understand what he was talking about. I don't think that's true because it says that they were glad to hear him. They were glad to hear his teachings. You're not just glad to hear sounds necessarily, are you? But, but I think they understood what he was saying. In Mark 16, what we know as the, the Great Commission, Christ tells us to go to all the world. Not just the civilized or the developed or the educated parts of the world. And to preach the gospel to every creature. Again, not just the learned and educated uh, people. The terms of salvation are for everyone. In Colossians 4 and 16, the brethren there were instructed to read whole books, whole letters in this case, to the whole congregation. Not just to pick out the easy parts, not to split them up in classes so that this group might understand this part and this group might understand this part. But they were to read the whole uh, book or the whole letter to the whole congregation. In fact, in Ephesians 6 and Titus 2 and perhaps other places, Paul speaks directly to children. He addresses them. Children, do this. Children, obey your parents and so forth. And so Paul expected those children who were hearing that read to understand what he was saying. God expects us to understand His will. Ephesians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We don't have to graduate from a college or seminary. We don't have to wait for a priest or a bishop to explain to us God's Word. We can all understand if we will only approach the Bible with the proper attitude and ready to hear and to learn. Men and women... Young and old can understand the Bible if they really want to. Well, another hindrance to Bible study is when we read God's Word just for having bragging rights. And what I mean by that is just to be able to tell others that we have read the Bible. Sad to say, but, but I think some people read the Bible just so they can say, I read so many chapters last night, or I've read the Bible through so many times. And I don't want to sound like I'm judging anyone or that I'm doubting their uh, motives. Only you and God know why you read the Bible. 
But it does seem like some people are particularly proud of, of being able to, to brag about it. It's kind of like those folks in uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, that Jesus referenced, those who were sounding trumpets when they did a, a good deed. He says they were doing that just to receive the glory of men. Or those who were standing on the corner when they prayed. Jesus said they were doing that just to be seen of men. In fact, he went on to say in both of those cases, they have their reward. In other words, that's what they're going to get out of it. They're going to be seen of men. They're going to be, um, get the glory of men. But that's all the benefit that they will receive from that. And so the question is, when we read the Bible, are we receiving benefit from it? Is the only benefit we're receiving when we tell others about it and they know about it? Or are we learning as we should? And are we applying it to our lives? In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7, Paul spoke of some who were always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just reading the Bible, just scanning the words, or even saying them out loud, that won't necessarily help us very much unless we truly absorb them and understand them. No matter how many times or how much we may read, it does us no good if we do not apply it and obey it. James, that familiar passage in James 3, he said, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's only when we continue in and do what we read that we are blessed. And so let's don't be guilty of, of using Bible study just as something to to brag about, to gain the, the praise of men. Instead, we should be trying to gain the praise and the approval of God. Well, next, another hindrance to Bible study and to gaining a real knowledge of God's Word is when we read irregularly, when we don't have any kind of structure or organization, but we just randomly pick up a passage here or there. Now, honestly, I, I think... I think I can say that, that any study is, is better than none at all. At least that's true most of the time. I'm going to give an illustration in a moment where that probably was not the case. But, but probably any reading of the Bible, if you're doing it with the right attitude, is, is good for you. But, again, if you don't have any kind of structure, any kind of organization, then, then it's not going to do nearly as much good as it could have. If you read from Psalms one day and then you jump to Colossians the next and then Exodus the next without any kind of continuity, any kind of connection between those passages. Um, again, it's not going to give you as much gain as it should. In fact, it could lead to more harm than good. It might just confuse you. There needs to be some type of system, some type of regularity um, in your Bible study. So here's the illustration or the story that I was going to share. This came from uh, one of Brother Billy Orton's sermons. And if you have his sermon book, maybe you remember this illustration uh, yourself, But he tells about a man who had never really been a student of the Bible. And so he decided to, to read the book one day. And his method was perhaps like many people uh, today. They just read a few verses every once in a while, kind of willy-nilly, so to speak. And so he opened up the Bible at random. And he began to read the first verses that his eyes fell on. And the place that he happened to read was in Matthew, the 27th chapter, where the Bible tells about Judas betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, trying to give the money back. And when he realized what he had done, verse 5 says, Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
Well, when the man, man read that, he was very sad, and he closed up his Bible. And the more he thought about this man uh, hanging himself, the, the worse he felt. But he decided to, to try again in the hopes that, that something he read might make him feel better. And so he opened up the Bible again at random, still thinking about Judas and his suicide. And this time his eyes fell on Luke 10 and verse 37, where Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Well, again, he quickly closed the Bible and he said to himself, Surely Jesus isn't saying that I need to do what, what that man Judas did and, and go and uh, hang myself. And so now he really felt bad, but he thought he'd give it one more try. And he was certain that he must have misunderstood the first two times. And so he opened up again at random, and this time his eyes fell on 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, which said, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, by this time the man was very upset, very confused, desperate and distressed. He returned to the Bible one more time, where his eyes fell on John 13 and 27, where Jesus said, What you do, do quickly. And so the man closed his Bible and, and never opened it again. Well, of course, uh, I believe that story is, is made up. Uh, I don't think by random, by chance, you would happen to fit those verses or find those verses in that order. Uh, I don't know what the probability of that is, but I'm sure it's pretty low. But the point is, I think it illustrates how dangerous it can be to just read the Bible at random with no organization, no system. That's how many times false doctrines come about. People pick verses here and there that may have nothing to do with each other, may be completely out of context. They take little phrases and so forth, and they piece together this doctrine, which is not at all what the, the Bible has taught. Paul told us in our text that it's important for us to rightly divide the word of truth. And that means to read it in the correct order with the context in mind. And as I said, I think this is uh, one of the main reasons why so many false doctrines uh, have come about, why there's so much disagreement in general in the religious world today. People have not rightly divided God's Word. And their study, at least the way they've done it, has really been more of a hindrance to them than a help. Well, another hindrance to our Bible study is when we only read our favorite passages. Most of us, I'm sure, will have to admit that we have favorite parts of the Bible. Maybe it's the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Or maybe it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter as we sometimes call it. Whatever your favorite verse, whatever your favorite chapter or book might be, you have reasons for, for liking that uh, particular part of the Bible. Maybe it gives you comfort. Maybe it gives you courage. Maybe it renews your faith. Um, and we need a, a daily dose of, of those things, courage and comfort and, and faith. But if that's the only thing that you read and study, then you're really depriving yourself of, of so much more that the Bible has to offer. It's very much like a, a child's eating habits. Our girls aren't here today, so I can say this. But when they were little, Addie especially, um, there would have been nothing more that she would have liked than to just have cake and ice cream for every meal. In fact, I'll admit, I gave this lesson um, about 19 years ago, if I looked at the date right. And uh, so Addie would have been about three years old. And when I said cake and ice cream, I had to spell it because I knew she would have, would have immediately wanted it um, at that point. But the point is, we knew that if she only had those things, um, that that would not be a balanced diet. And so we tried, to, tried our best to make sure that she got some protein, both of them, protein and iron and vitamins and calcium and all of the things that that they need to make their bodies grow and, and stay healthy. 
If we had just fed them those sweets all the time, the result would have probably been malnutrition, and pretty soon their pediatrician would have been questioning us whether they were getting a, a balanced diet. Well, it's no different for us as adults and our spiritual diet. If we only read and meditate on our favorite verses, the cake and ice cream of the Bible, if you will, then the result will be spiritual malnutrition. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks of carnal Christians, worldly Christians, who never mature. And he says that they feed only on the milk of the Word. That they never uh, try anything that's solid, any meat, if you will. And I think what Paul means by that is they kept on focusing on the, the, the easy parts, if you will, or their favorite parts. They never got past that. Maybe they never even understood the easy parts, but they never got past that, and so they weren't growing as they should. Again, we need those favorite passages, and I'm not discouraging anyone from, from reading those passages that give you comfort and courage and, and faith and so forth. We need those to build us up, but we also need other verses. In fact, we need some parts that maybe are not so pleasant. We need some of those vegetables, or we need some of those things that maybe we don't really like to hear, that are hard to swallow. And we need to read those things that are hard to understand, because that's the only way that we can become stronger and grow as Christians. Well, the next hindrance that I want to notice this morning with you is when we read the Bible just to justify ourselves in some habit or activity. This is similar to the idea of, of just to prove a point, but, but slightly different because this is when we are doing something that probably deep down inside we know is not right or we know is not God's will, but we think if somehow we can find a verse that will okay it, then that will, again, justify uh, that habit or that, that activity. If we can find where it says it's okay to do something or wear something or go somewhere, then that will ease our conscience. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I just can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says I can't do such and such. Well, when we stubbornly go to the Bible only to try to prove what we're doing is okay, then most often we're going in with some preconceived opinion. In other words, we're already prejudiced by our opinion, and we're probably only going to find what we want to find. Consider the example of Balaam that's found in the Old Testament in Numbers chapters 22 through 24. Maybe you remember the story. Uh, the wicked king Balak had sent men to Balaam with a reward, I might add. But they had sent, or the king had sent men to Balaam asking him to curse the children of Israel. And so Balaam says that he will ask God. And that night God came to Balaam and told him, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so Balaam went back and, and told them, no, he couldn't go with them. I've always kind of imagined that he went back, you know, with his head down. I can't, God says I can't go, <laughs> that type of thing. But uh, Balak sent more men. This time offered him uh, perhaps more money, offered him promotion and honor if he would curse Israel. And so Balaam says, well, let me ask God again. You can already hear here uh, Balaam's attitude. He's wanting something. God's saying no, so he keeps going back, kind of like the child that says, if dad says no, I'll go ask mom, and if mom says no, I'll go ask grandma. Well, he's going to keep going back until he gets the answer he wants, it seems. But anyway, uh, Balaam asked God again. God told him this time that he could go with them, but that he would not curse Israel. And Balaam, it seems, was excited. He was probably already thinking of how he could spend that money. 
In fact, it angered God so much that he sent an angel to kill Balaam along the way. And, and this is probably this part of the story that we remember best, how Balaam's donkey saved his life by, by speaking to him and keeping him from, from being killed by that, that angel. Well, um, again, God told him to only bless Israel. And so Balaam gets to King Balak, and the king reminds him of how rich he can make him. And Balaam tells him to, to build seven altars and sacrifices while he goes off by himself to see what the Lord has to say. And at this point, we have to be asking ourselves, what do you mean, see what the Lord has to say? God has told you now three times the answer. And you just keep asking, um, asking again and again and again. In fact, he almost, God almost killed him one of those times. But, but again, God tells Balaam to bless Israel. This circus, if you will, continues for a while longer. And finally, the Bible says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless the people, he went not as at the other times to inquire of the Lord, but he opened his mouth and blessed the people. Finally, Balaam did what God had told him to do several times all along. Finally, it seems he got the message. Now, if we read on further in the Old Testament, we find that it's actually not the case. Yes, he may have blessed the people, but he also put a bug in the ear of King Balak and told him how he could make the Israelites sin and eventually have them defeated. So all along we can see Balaam was just trying to hear what he wanted to hear. And so what was wrong here? Why did God have to tell this prophet over and over what he wanted him to do before he got the point across? Well, the answer is simple. God wasn't telling Balaam what he wanted to hear. Balaam may have wanted to follow God, but he wanted God to lead him where he wanted to go. Let me say that again. Balaam may have wanted to follow God, but he wanted God to lead him where he wanted to go. And I wonder sometimes if the same can't be said of us. We say we want to follow God as long as he's leading us where we want to go. Do we only read the Bible to try to justify ourselves, to try to find what we want it to say instead of what God truly has to say? Well, next, another hindrance to our Bible study is when we rely on men to tell us God's will. We've already kind of alluded to this when it comes to uh, priests or bishops, perhaps, in some denominations. But, but what about us in the Church of Christ? Whether it's a preacher or a teacher, maybe it's an author who's written a commentary or, or uh, some study Bible, we can't rely solely on another man's interpretations and opinions to stand in place of what God really has to say. I suspect we're all guilty of this to some degree. I know I am. Very often when I have a question, instead of studying it out myself, I might turn to some commentary, some man that, that I trust the opinion of. There are certain men in the church, preachers in particular, that we have so much respect for that, that whenever we have a Bible question or concern, our first thought is to see what they have to say on the matter. And so again, we may ask them in person or go to books or articles that they've written and and. Often we base our decision, our opinion, solely on theirs. But that can be very dangerous. It's fine to have faith and trust in a person who we believe is knowledgeable in God's Word, but we can't let their Word take precedence over God's Word. We should first go to the Bible for our answers. Of course, that's the hard way. It takes more time, takes more energy to study it out for ourselves. But, but when we strain God's will through the brain of another person, so to speak, first... We're at risk of, of being tempted by their limitations and by their prejudices because, after all, they are only human just like us. 
Only the pure, undefiled, perfect word of God is sufficient to trust our souls with. And that's not to condemn commentaries or study Bibles or asking learned men questions at all. Again, the point is that, that our first source should be the Bible. Speaking of, of commentaries and, and study Bibles and even just Bibles in general and translations, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but um, I think probably all versions have certain words or phrases that are not translated as, as well as they could be. And sometimes that's not significant, especially if it's not a matter of salvation, but, but there are mistakes in certain translations that could cause us, I believe, to be lost if we do not search for the truth. Let me just give you a few examples. Suppose you're trying to convince someone that the church, the church is the Lord's kingdom. And they pull out their living Bible, paraphrased, uh, and they flip over to 2 Timothy 4 where that version says that when Christ comes again, it will be to set up his kingdom. It's not what the Bible teaches, but that version says that. Imagine you're trying to convince someone that Christ only built one church and that denominationalism is wrong. Well, they pull out their cotton patch version, if you've heard of that one. They flip to Acts 23, where it explains that the Apostle Paul was a Baptist. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. If you try to convince someone that the doctrines of grace only or faith only are not taught in God's Word, maybe they pull out their New English Bible and they flip to Romans 3 and 24, where that version says, all are justified by God's grace alone. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, I know some of you like the Amplified Version, and I like to use it too to, to help explain verses that, that may not be clear to me. But if you're trying to convince someone that the use of instrumental music in worship is not authorized in the New Testament, well, they could pull out their Amplified Bible Classic Edition and read Ephesians 5.19, where that version says, Offering praise with voices and instruments. Now, again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not condemning any of these versions or any other version uh, per se. I don't believe that we should trust any one translation or version without investigating to make sure what is true. We should always search out the truth to find God's will. And this is even more so when it comes to commentaries and other study tools that are clearly written by men and women. Put it bluntly, these are just a man's opinion. Um, and they can be very useful for study. They can help us to understand, to put into perspective certain topics but they should not be trusted as our only source of Bible study. The Bible, of course, has to come first. Someday we will give an account to God, not to men. And so we better make sure that we're living according to His Word and not the Word of others. Moving along, the next hindrance that I wanted to mention, this is probably the one that plagues us the most. And that's when we say that we're just too busy to study the Bible. Well, If that's the case, and I suspect in most uh, of our lives, that's not truly the case if we're honest with ourselves. But if that is the case, if you are too busy to study the Bible, then quite frankly, you are too busy. We need to cut out of our life some of the things that don't matter, and we need to put first things first. What's happening in the world may be interesting, maybe affects our lives, but if time we spend reading the paper or watching the news is keeping us from studying the Bible, then those things need to be put away. Sports, exercise, those are important to help keep our bodies in shape. But if that's what's keeping us from studying the Bible, then they're not important at all. We all have to sleep, right? But if it's a choice between sleep and studying your Bible, then you need to stay awake. 
and you need to read God's Word. Now, I'm being a little extreme here on purpose because none of those things are, are wrong. None of those things are, are unimportant. But, again, the point is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we will all admit there's some time that we can find in our day, our 24-hour day, to study the Bible, even if we have to do less of some of those other things. God word, God's Word rather, must become a priority. It has to be important to us if we hope to not only survive, but to grow as a Christian. Well, finally this morning, and I'm going to get a little blunt here, as my dad sometimes said, says I'm going to stop preaching and start meddling here. But, but it's true. One of the number one hindrances to our Bible study is, quite frankly, our laziness. In-depth study of the Bible requires effort and energy. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just simply too lazy to put forth that effort. That may be hard to swallow. It's also hard to change. But the best way I know to cure laziness is to look at some of the passages in the Bible that condemn such. For example, um, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 15 and 19 that the way of a lazy man is a hedge of thorns. It keeps him from, um, or it separates him from, from what he needs to be. Proverbs 21 and 25 says, The desire of a lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Ecclesiastes 10 and 18, Because of laziness the, the building decays, and through idleness of hands the house leaks. Now, most of these verses are probably speaking towards um, physical la laziness, but, but the Christian life, and Bible study in particular, does take work. It may not be physical work, but it takes mental work. And Matthew 25, verse 26, Jesus rebuked the wicked and the slothful, or the lazy servant. In Hebrews 6 and 12, we're warned to not be slothful, to be, but to be followers of them who through faith and patience have inherited the promise. The point is, again, it does take work to study the Bible. If we expect to inherit the promises of heaven, then we need to put aside our laziness when it comes to many things, including Bible study. Well, in closing this morning, I hope our, our study has been beneficial to everyone. As I said at the beginning, uh, I don't think any of us would deny the importance of Bible study, just as with all other things um, that are important to our spiritual well-being. Satan has his devices that he tries to hinder us with and, and keep us from pleasing God. And so hopefully with our study this morning, we've become more aware of those things and we can work to avoid them and to proceed to learn God's will through a study of His Word as we should. We never end a service without offering the gospel invitation. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, an honest study of the New Testament reveals what we must do to have our sins forgiven and to become members of Christ's body, the church. We must believe, we must repent of our sins, we must confess His name before men, and be buried with Him in baptism. And if we rise out of that water, a new creature, ready to live a life of, of faithful service to Him. And so if you've never obeyed that plan, then we would be happy to assist you in that this morning. Or if you've once taken those steps, but you've not remained faithful, then we encourage you to, to make those things right through repentance and confession and prayer. And if we can assist you in any way, we encourage you to come while we stand and sing.